definitely good to see everybody here this morning. We have some visitors with us, and we're thankful that you're here and that you could be with us. And please uh, uh, let us get to know you a little better before you leave. You know, I am want to want to say that you know here uh, we're going to preach the truth, and we're only going to preach the truth, and that's all we can do. You know, we we uh, love the Lord here. And we want to serve Him. And so, you know, we, we often will teach um, about teaching the truth and things of that nature. But I, I wanted, to, wanted to say that uh, this morning is one of those lessons that, you know, can be tough to hear. And I personally know that it can be tough to hear because I have heard it before. And I have had to make some changes in my life uh, accordingly. And this is one of those sermons that, uh, you know, even in the past for myself and other preachers, uh, has been a real moving sermon, if you know what I mean. Uh, You know, this is one of those things where people tend to get upset. And I want everybody to know here that I don't want to upset you. And I know that deep down I'm not upsetting people because I can only teach the Word of God. And... And I know that if someone gets upset, it's because they're upset with God's Word. And I am going to try to remember that while I'm preaching this morning so that I can be as gentle as possible. Because I know that this sermon will affect many of us. And maybe it is that this sermon um, does not affect you personally at this moment, uh, but it very well could. I want to mention this as well. The passage that we read at the beginning was uh, 2 Timothy 2.15. And I had that read for a specific purpose because uh, it's, it doesn't tie in exactly to my lesson as we're not going to be talking about uh, study if we use the King James. But as far as diligence is concerned, uh, we need to be diligent uh, to, to make sure that we are doing what's right and teaching what's right. And I would ask this morning that if you have the ability and the capabilities that you don't take my word for what I'm saying, that you write these things down. And if need be, you know, we are recording this lesson and it will be available to those who need it and those who want to study these things. But as the things that we're going to preach this morning might be difficult to hear, I want you to keep an open mind, and I want you to know that I love you, and that's the reason I'm telling you this, is because I love you, and I don't, I would not count myself anything of a man, or count myself anything of a preacher, if we did not discuss this today. I have made few friends preaching this sermon. But I have oftentimes had to quote Galatians 4 and verse 16 that says, So then am I become your enemy because I speak the truth. I hope that we are still friends and that we are open to God's word this morning. This is a time of year that is a wonderful time of year. Because it is starting to warm up and it feels good outside and, you know, people are going to be 
spending time on the lake. People are going to be doing all sorts of different things. But there is a temptation around this time of year uh, to do a number of things. And one is that, well, uh, there is the temptation to be involved in circumstances uh, where Christians ought not to be. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 it says, And be not fashioned according to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, and ye may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's what we're after, brethren. We don't need to be, be uh, just fashioned to this world. We don't need to follow suit with this world, but we need to be different. We need to be transformed by what? The renewing of our minds. We have a different thought process than we used to when we weren't Christians. We are different. And we need to be different so that we can uh, show God that you know, we, we have been following His will. And so the first thing, I want to start off real easy. The first thing I want to mention is this. You know, there are atmospheres which we could find ourselves in where poor language is used. And why I mean that, I mean bad language. In Ephesians 4, verse 29, it says, Let no corrupt speech proceed out of thy mouth. What's corrupt speech? Well, you know, this is, obviously, this goes along with cursing. You know, we, we, can, we can see that. Cursing is definitely a part of this. But there are other things that we might consider. You know, we, we might even think about euphemisms. You know, what's a euphemism? Uh, euphemism is, is a uh, less offensive word or phrase that is in, uh, used instead of using the offensive word or phrase. Now, not all these are bad. I'll give you an example. You know, sometimes when someone uh, passes away, we'll say that they passed away, but what did they do? They died. Now, dying sounds very harsh. And if we were to say, well, they're dead, or they died, that sounds very harsh to us. So many times, what will we do? We'll say, they passed away. That is a nice way of saying it. It is a less offensive way of saying something. But, on the other hand, sometimes people use, and quite frequently, people use words that are to be used instead of using a curse word. Now, brethren, what's the difference? The difference is, there's really no difference, is there? You're still trying to keep things in the context. And you're using these words to replace other words. Now, um, I have been taught that, you know what, if, if I can't think of another word to say than to use some sort of exclamatory, then I must not have a very good vocabulary. Now, brethren, that works for me because insulting my intelligence will motivate me. And so I, I, I've, I've been taught that. I want to make sure that I have a good enough vocabulary to think of other words that could come out instead of those words. But another side of this would be dirty jokes. 
In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 through 7, this is, you know, clearly addresses the idea of saying obscene jokes. Um, that, you know, we, we don't need to uh, say a joke that is in any way uh, offensive or crude, those kind of things. Um, these, these are not jokes that Christians should uh, be involved in. But that's not all that we have to talk about this morning. The next thing is this. The reason that, that we even brought up poor language, bad language, is, well, because of suggestive music. A lot of times when it comes down to summertime, there are all sorts of thoughts and actions that go along with these this time of year. And suggestive music ends up being a part of that. Now, uh, I know that this is not new, that this has been going on since any of you in the congregation has been alive. There has been some suggestiveness. Now, I do know this, as time has progressed, it has gotten worse. I remember seeing a, uh, a little post that someone put on Facebook, and they had shown the lyrics of songs of two different bands from two different time periods. One was very sexually driven, and the other one was not. And if you were to listen to this music, even the music in and of itself was quite different. Something we don't even think about today, but, you know, I'm not a big fan of rap music. But rap music has changed considerably over the years. It used to be that when rap first came out, that there were a lot of political agendas being talked about and a lot of actually moral things being talked about. But now today, the most popular theme, if you want to sell a CD, is to have sexually explicit music. You know, when we think about passages of Scripture like Philippians 4 and verse 8, it says this, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honorable, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Now, I, I, I'll, I'll tell you up front. If you want to know what kind of music that I like, you know, people often think that as a preacher, I must only listen to acapella singing all the time. I, I listen to that. I do. Matter of fact, we listened to that this morning. But a type of music that I do like is, is rock. And you know what? You know, you may not agree with me on this one, but really, the harder the better. I like hard rock. You know, I like it. And, you know, it's just something I enjoy. I played guitar, and I enjoyed playing that stuff. It's just, and now it's not the cool thing. I know it used to be cool, and now it's not. But, you know what, I, I enjoy it. I enjoy rock, and I enjoy blues. I like, like all that stuff. 
But you know what, brethren? I can't listen to every rock song. Because the themes are not always good. You know, I, I cannot, you know, listen to that. And I cannot sing those things. Because they're not good. So what happens in a case like that? If a bad song comes on the radio, what do you Turn it. Turn the channel. You know, music can be very important to people. And as Christians, we can listen to all types of music. But we need to make sure that it's clean. That it doesn't involve cursing and drugs and alcohol and sexuality. We... We need to think on things that are good and pure. We need to think about the things that we we see in Philippians 4 and verse 8. Now, brethren, here, here is where the rubber meets the road, okay? Let's turn over to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. We need to discuss the topic of, well, immodesty. What does it mean? Start in verse 1 in Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which Jehovah God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of any tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, Of the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God knows, uh, God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did not and did eat. And she gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Now I want to point something out here. She did not desire it until Satan pointed out that it looked good. Satan points it out, and that's it. She wants it. She sees it looks good, and she desires to have it. And then she gives in to temptation. Verse 7. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Now, we need to stop here. The eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. So at this point, they were not wearing clothing at all, right? So they were naked. And then they realize it. They understand it all of a sudden that they have been naked, and they decide, we need to make for ourselves clothes. Now the Greek or the Hebrew word here, uh, rather, uh, apron, is is uh, kind of indicative of really covering just a portion of the front of their bodies. Now, if you were to consider 
what they were wearing, it would be, um, in, in similar fashion, it would be to that of the modern swimsuit. And so whenever we see this, what, what then happens? Verse 8. And they heard the voice of Jehovah God walking in the garden in the cool of day. And the man and his wife hid him themselves from the presence of Jehovah God amongst the trees of the garden. And Jehovah God called unto the man and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. No, no, no. Wait a second now. They made clothes for themselves. And yet they were still naked? What does this mean? Well, brethren, we need to define nakedness. Nakedness is not what, what we would think it is. According to scriptures, nakedness is not just not having clothes on. Nakedness can be that. But nakedness can also mean not wearing enough. And they weren't wearing enough. And so God said, you know, and they, and they realized it. They realized they weren't wearing enough. Because they were naked. Verse 11. This is God. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? I ain't got to love the Lord here in the way that he approaches this. You know, he knows exactly. You know, he's all-knowing. He's omniscient. He's, he knows what exactly has happened, but this has probably happened to you too. You know, you remember when your mother or your father got on to you specifically. I remember my mother doing this. And they know that you've done something. And they say, well, did you do this? Well, they knew. They knew exactly what you had done. It's like your mom's got eyes in the back of her head. They know exactly. And uh, for those of you who are, who are younger, moms do have eyes in the back of their head, so just watch out. So, um, But you, you think about this, brethren. And God says, look, did, did, you, did you eat of the tree? Verse 12. And the man said, the woman, the woman whom thou gavest me to be with me. She gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And so, of course, what does Adam do here? He says, well, I did eat of this tree. But it was the woman. And by the way, it was the woman that you gave me. So that's kind of your fault, right? It was the woman that you gave me. She gave me the food, and I did eat it. Verse 13, And Jehovah God said unto the woman, what is, uh, what is this thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. Verse 21. Look at verse 21. And Jehovah God made for Adam and for his wife coats of skins and clothed them. Now most versions will say the word tunics. Now, that is a more accurate translation of this. It is tunics of skin. Now, what does a tunic cover? A tunic covers from the neck, up here, from the neck to the knees. So, they were naked. God decided to clothe them 
And how did he clothe them? He clothed them from the neck to the knees. Now, brethren, there's another thing that we need to point out. There's other passages. Now, I would be remiss if I did not mention uh, these other passages, but let's, let's think about this. Let's turn over to Isaiah chapter 47. Isaiah 47, verses 2 and 3. I'll give you a moment to get there. Isaiah 47, verses 2 and 3. I don't want you to think I'm making this up. I want you to see it for yourself. Isaiah 47, 2 and 3. Take the millstones and grind mill. Remove thy veil. Strip off the train. Uncover the leg. Pass through the rivers. Thy nakedness shall be uncovered. Yea, thy shame shall be seen. I will take vengeance and will spare no man. Brethren, the thigh is nakedness. We see that in this passage. They are told to uncover the leg and that their nakedness shall be uncovered. Yea, thy shame shall be seen. Now, brethren, I'm going to go ahead and, and cut to the chase on this verse. Obviously, the thigh is nakedness. But another thing that I've, I've heard so many times, I have heard brethren say, well, you know, this is an illustration. And this is an illustration of Israel. You are exactly right. And they'll say, because it's an illustration, you know, we can't take everything from it. Okay, let's stop right there and let's think about this. I want to approach this logically. Now, An illustration, what is the purpose of an illustration? Well, to give an example, right? You know, now, we we saw the Lord do this many times in giving parables, right? But what what would a parable, what, what purpose did that serve? You had some sort of a spiritual idea that needed to be, the point needed to be given, and so what did they do? Well, they gave an example of something else so that a person could see that they were wrong in doing whatever. Namely, you think about David in that matter. You know, David had, had, um, had Bathsheba, and, and of course, uh, in the uh, aftermath of that, you, know, you, you have a man that comes to him and says, you know, what, what would happen, sir, here... There's a guy here, and he has all these sheep, and this man has only one, and the man who has all the sheep goes and steals the one. What do we need to do? Well, we just need to take him out. He needs to be punished. Thou art the man. Now, brethren, just because it's an illustration given here, Does that mean that the parts of this are wrong? Absolutely not. Matter of fact, there are other passages of Scripture that would corroborate the idea of the thigh being nakedness. In Exodus chapter 28 and verse 42, Exodus 28 and verse 42, 
says, And thou shalt make them linen breeches to cover the flesh of their nakedness. From the loins, even unto the thighs, they shall reach. So they were to cover down to the thighs. From the waist down to the thighs, they were to be covered. In Exodus chapter 20 and verse 26, talking about the altar and how they were to have a ramp and not steps, it says, Neither shalt thou go up by steps unto mine altar, that thy nakedness be not uncovered thereon. Now, you know what? I, uh, I come from Scottish heritage, but I have never worn a kilt. You know, but I do understand that if you ladies, and may you understand this more than us guys do, at least hope that you understand this more than us guys do. But, you know, if you're walking up steps, you have to be careful, don't you? Now, why is that? Because if you walk up too quickly, you might have that dress flapping around and show too much. Now, the same thought was they were wearing uh, these what we would think of as a tunic that that came down and it was covered, but it was much like what we would think of as a skirt. And as these men were to walk up, they were not to walk up steps. They were to walk up a ramp. And the reason they were to walk up a ramp is so that their nakedness be not uncovered. Now, we remember what they are supposed to be wearing. And they are covered... Down to the thigh. And so the, this still continues to corroborate that idea that the thigh is nakedness. Now the scriptures are pretty plain about this. And I know that maybe this might even be the first time you've heard these verses put together. But the importance is this. I know that... In our society, you know, the idea of short shorts is is prevalent. And many women wear short shorts. And many guys even wear shorts that don't even fit this description. Now, brethren, I'm mentioning this because I know that this is a problem in society. And like I said, I, I've known this because, look, I, I have not followed this my entire life. I, I didn't know about it growing up. And, you know, there, there were people around me that were conservative, and they would say, well, you need to wear pants all the time. No passage for that. No passage for wearing pants all the time. And, and so, I, you know, I, I just didn't really listen to them. And, brother or not, you know, it's just one of those things when you're playing soccer or some other sport like that, that the shorts are not always going to cover you in that way. And so I know. I know when I came to this realization that I was embarrassed because I did not live up to this standard. Now, we need to go on because I know a lot of times we think about this idea of the thighs nakedness, and that's, guys, if we're wearing shorts, most of the time we should be wearing basketball shorts anyway. Um, never really understood guys wanting to wear shorter shorts than that, but, you know, um, 
we, we don't really fall in line with this very often. But the next thing that we do, this is where, us guys, we really need to pay attention. In John chapter 21, John 21 and verse 7, That disciple, therefore, whom Jesus loved, saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his coat about him, for he was naked, and cast himself into the sea. Now, how was he naked here? He was basically, guys, he basically had his shirt off. Now, this is where we need to pay attention because the scriptures don't give us leeway here. It says he girt about his coat about him for he was naked. He was naked. He basically had his shirt off, and the scriptures describe him as being naked. And so, you know, we need to consider this, brethren, that. You know, we are not exposing our upper torso. You know, we still need to be covered from the neck to the knees just like the ladies do. Everybody needs to. It's not just one thing or the other. And I, I know, I've heard sermons on modesty before, and, and really what it amounted to was brethren saying, look, guys lust... So women need to keep clothes on so guys don't lust. But that's not right. That's not what we see in Scripture. And the idea, I've, I've heard it too, is, well, you know, I've heard some women say, well, um, you know, if, if it's all about the lusting, then guys shouldn't look. And I can dress however I, I want to. But see, it's not up to subjectivism here, brethren. Because the Scriptures plainly teach that, you know, men, if we're not wearing shirts, then we're naked. And if we are exposing our thighs, then we're naked. Now, I mention all of that, and I have to mention one more thing. And the last thing is this. The last thing is, you know, the, the idea of dancing, and maybe we'll go in more depth on this later, but, you know, I, I know that this is the time of year where, you know, people start attending prom and whatnot, and I want to make sure that I, I, I've taught the truth and give people opportunity to follow it. But the question has been for years, is dancing wrong? Now, I want to clarify this by first saying, you know, children dance. You know, that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about children jumping around and dancing around and they hear their favorite song on whatever kids show and they just got to get up and dance and they're doing their thing and being silly. That's not what we're talking about. But dancing is going to fall into a category of being wrong when it falls into any of these sinful activities. Number one, is the individual going to be immodest? Well, that automatically would make it wrong. 
is there going to be any improper touching involved? That would make it wrong. You know, a good rule of thumb is, would you do the same thing to a sibling or to your parent of the opposite sex? Would you feel comfortable in doing that? Um, I'm going to be a little more graphic here, but guys, do you want to put your hand on your mom's waist as close as you can to her bottom? The answer to that is yes, you've got more problems than just dancing. Improper touching. This should not be done. That's just a, a good rule of thumb there. Uh, I, I remember uh, uh, someone saying, well, you know, dancing is, is, not a, is not a sexual activity, and so it shouldn't bring up any sort of sexual thoughts. And the argument was being made, and the teacher of this class said, all right, all right, you two guys right there, uh, get up and, and dance with each other. And they said, no, 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 it's a slow dance. You've got to put your arms around each other, get real close. <laughs> we're not doing that. Well, why aren't you doing that? Well, we're not gay. Well, wait a second. I didn't imply that at all. Are you, are you hinting at there might be something sexual about the nature of dancing? Another thought is, <laughs> are there... Seductive moves going on. If this is so, then yes, this, this is a problem. Will a person be causing someone to lust? If so, this is a sinful activity. I want to mention this. My, my father-in-law, I've got a couple of things here because you know, I appreciate having a preacher in the family. I didn't have preachers in my family, so I have to borrow from my wife. But my father-in-law, he, he was uh, working in a community, and he had been given the opportunity to go to a secular camp and be a counselor. And during part of the camp, they had a dance. And after the dance, some of the boys are, uh, came back and, and explained how they liked going to the dances and and my father-in-law just said, well, why is that? And he says, oh, you know. And he says, well, no, I don't. He says, well, you know, all the girls are jumping around. Oh, why, why do you like that? You know. Brethren, if it falls in line with any of these things, dancing... It is sinful. Now, I wanted to mention this because I do know that this is a season where, you know, prom's coming up and then after that, you know, it's starting to warm up and people are tempted to do things. And you know what? If we're going to be spiritual people, then we're going to want to do what the Lord says. I said at the beginning that there are people who have responded in many ways to sermons like this and this very sermon even. And sometimes you, you get a good response. And I remember preaching a sermon similar to this and, 
And people feeling really good about it and saying, you know, I've never heard a sermon like that. That's great. We need to hear more like that. And that's good. But you know, brethren, I've literally had somebody after preaching a sermon like this get mad to the point where I thought I might have to physically defend myself. A brother in Christ. You know, I want to read you a letter that was given to my father-in-law one time after preaching on similar things. And this is a letter from someone who has an open and honest heart. It says, Tim, in regards to your recent sermon on the prom and dancing in general, I would like to share some things with you, some thoughts with you. You see, I was a teenager who thought I could go to dances and not sin. After all, I was a Christian. And though my friends were not, they were all very nice kids from respected and religious families in the community. These are the things that I remember about the dances I attended. These were all school-sponsored dances, or at least attended only by school-age kids. I remember how very, very dim the lights always were. Uh, To say this created a romantic atmosphere is putting it nicely. I now think of John 3, 19 through 20. I remember the air being filled with smoke. Entering the room was like walking through a stagnant cloud. This was irritating at first, but I soon got used to it. I remember some of the guys, especially the athletic heroes, appearing and disappearing throughout the night, getting drunker and drunker with each appearance. They sought the attention of the crowd and usually got it with plenty of laughs. I remember the times that some would attract attention by their uh, extra-vulgar dancing. This was acceptable. It was also very acceptable uh, even to the chaperones for couples to slow dance in a full embrace, hardly moving their feet at all, but gently swaying to the music, often accompanied by kissing. I remember how loud the music was. There was no way to carry on a conversation or to visit. You either danced or you watched. I remember all these girls who stood on the side never asked to dance because they were not desirable. I remember how a lot of couples would every little while go outside for fresh air, of course. I remember that if you couldn't fast dance acceptably... Uh, that is, with sexy movements, you didn't dare get out uh, out there for fear of being laughed at. Then I remembered some of the thoughts of my heart, the very personal part of my visit to these places. I remember how close we danced during the slow dancing and how moving the music was. I remember the sensual feelings involved also in the fast dancing that we did not regard as being the least bit vulgar. Then there was the annual social events of the year, the junior-senior prom. Here, the act was cleaned up. There was a fancy ballroom, shining floor, clean air, crystal chandeliers, uh, 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 dressed-up chaperones that I I never recall seeing near the dance area, clean-out and nicely-dressed band, 
and the most formal attire, some very properly immodest. Surely even the parents who kept their teens from, uh, from other dance halls could allow them to go to this clean social event of the year. The only thing is, I remember that the thoughts of my mind and the emotions I felt in the other places presented themselves in this nice setting too. Maybe that's because a clean setting never cleans up the sins in the heart, Matthew 23, 27. There's only one more thing I remember about all the dances. It is the reason I went. My friends were there. It was the thing to do on a Friday night or Saturday night, and it was fun. After all, Satan makes sure that sin is pleasurable at the time, or who would ever want to indulge? There's only one good thing that I can say about all the nights I attended dances as a teenager, and that is that my life nor the world ended while I was there. I was a Christian who had pretended so long that dancing was okay that I almost believed it, and yet I would not have wanted any uh, have wanted my Lord to find me there. In conclusion, I just want to say that I, of all the people, can certainly understand the pressure our teens have to dance, especially the temptation to attend the prom. What I cannot understand is how parents can, even for a minute, consider allowing their children to participate in one of the most tempting activities Satan has to offer and pretend they can come away as innocently as they went. Everyone will sooner or later accept uh, accept the respect God's teachings on this subject. Uh, my prayer is that they will accept it uh, soon because later may be too late. Signed, too ashamed to sign my name. Now, brethren, I... I I know of a young man who is a Christian. And he's a very good Christian young man. And he attends in the Branson congregation. And he attends Hollister. And he was um, voted in to the running for homecoming king. And this is a something that they usually only do for seniors, but he was a sophomore and they wanted to put his name in anyway. And he said, you might as well not vote for me because, you know what, um, I'm not going to be at the dance. I'm not going to be there. Um, and you know what? They voted him in anyway. And he did not go. Because he, he says, you know, I love the Lord more. And furthermore, this young man comes from a broken family. And you would think that in a broken family that things would be much more difficult, and they probably are. And the times that he has to spin away from, from his family, it tears him apart that he cannot be with a the family of God. And he has made mention to the elders of that congregation and said, you know what? As soon as I get my license, I'm not missing a single time. Now, what's the difference 
in the example that he has given us. And the example that so many of us want to follow because it's more acceptable to the world. Brethren, I hope you know that this isn't a lesson to pick on anybody because I have throughout the years needed this myself and no one preached it to me and for that I'm, I'm very sorry I pray that you understand where I'm coming from this morning I pray that you will study the scriptures and that you'll look at it with an open and honest heart And that what we'll want to do here is simply teach the truth and serve the Lord. Maybe there's someone here today that needs to respond to the invitation. If that is you, would you please come as we stand and as we sing? Heart, a gentle voice.